We realized a couple of things early in this process. One is that the total value of contracts to minority-owned businesses in Massachusetts had declined over 20 years. Really? Yes. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insights into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.io. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. I'm Adam Moore here in studio again with Chloe Goodry-Reed. And in today's episode, we're joined by Paul Singer, Investigations and Impact Editor at GBH News in Massachusetts. Singer has filled many editorial and investigative roles in his career and now works to facilitate community inclusion as a member of the GBH News Center for Investigative Reporting in Boston, Massachusetts. Welcome to the show, Singer. So glad to have you with us today. Thanks very much for having me. I very much appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Yes, we are so excited to have you join us today and really have been admiring your work from afar. So we'd love Mm -hmm. to just hear a little bit more about it. Tell us a little bit about who you are and your background and what what got you into investigative reporting. Well, uh, the short version is I started my first newspaper when I was nine years old. It was a little summer project for this little row of houses at the end of my block written by hand. And then I started a a little newspaper joke sheet for my like second or third grade class, I guess. Then I was in middle school. I was on the media center. We had a TV station in the school. And so I was the TV you know, uh, host for our TV show in middle school. And then high school, I was on the high school newspaper. And then in college, I ran the college newspaper. And I graduated with this liberal arts degree and no actual skills except being a reporter. So I became a reporter. (laughs) So, so yeah, so I've been a reporter, you know, for decades. Um, the, the, the thing is I got lucky when I started out and, and the guy who hired me, uh, not quite first, but, all, but pretty much the first meaningful job um, was running this, this newsletter as a trade newsletter with a, with a particular focus on how the federal government operated the, this, in this case, it was the uh, environmental protection agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and his whole mission was to find stuff nobody else knew. That was mm-hmm. how they sold that thing. Oh, okay. Um, uh, and so, you know, if it was in the newspaper, if there was a press conference, it was already too late. Right. right. They wanted right. us to right. they wanted us to find the stuff that hadn't happened yet. And they still do this, by the way, inside Washington Publishers. Fabulous place. And they still do it. And they train lots of young people. And I owe my career to them. And they taught me how to go look for stuff that was behind rocks. And I have made a career of that. Mm. That's awesome. That is awesome. So then what is so taking that and coming kind of where you are today, right? So what is mm-hmm. GBH? Because for our listeners, you're in Massachusetts. Chloe and I are down here in the South. <laughs> so <Yeah>. we <laughs> really don't know. 
Yeah. Uh, and what's your what's your role there with GBH? Uh, that, uh, it sounds totally fascinating. Well, I know, you know, you may be in the South, but I know you have radios and I know you have public yeah. radio. So yes, yeah. we do. The GBH is Boston's local NPR affiliate. Um, ah, which okay. Now, Love NPR. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, for, for many years, we were known as WGBH, uh, uh, 89.7. What's, what's happened is we've lost the W because, in part, we are trying to transform. We're no longer radio only and radio first. We are now trying to be digital first. We're a lot on mm. YouTube. You can find us a lot of different places. We're oh, doing our website gotcha. is a very active place. Um, okay. And it's really a sort of a mindset to get ourselves away from being just another public radio station. And part of my job, I have two jobs. One is I run the investigations unit here, which is four or five reporters. We dig into investigative news stories. The other half of my job, which is the newer part, is sort of extending our ears into the community more. We broadcasters have always thought about, you know, we broadcast, we tell you stuff. What we've never done very well is listen. Um, And so part of my job now is helping GBH go into the communities and listen more find the stories people care about, find the voices from the community that we want to elevate and give our platforms to, um, and just do more, um, be closer to the community. So we really are Boston's community-based public radio station. That's sort of the concept of my job these days. Which I love because sometimes, you know, the news can be skewed, you know, a certain way. And so to have public radio that has its ear to the streets and really informing its constituents and community partners and everyone in the ecosystem is incredible. And I, I, I do feel like we need more of that. You'll see a lot more of it around the country. There's, I, I will say that we are not the only ones doing this by any stretch of imagination. There's, there really is a move afoot, um, you know, in a lot of media organizations to understand our own structural racism, which is based largely on um, a lack of inclusion. Uh, we have not included voices. We have not included people. We have not included backgrounds. Um, and 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 we're not smart enough to be able to do that on our own. So we're asking people to come forward and help us. And that's sort of driving this, what I would say, it's a revolution um, uh, in a lot of newsrooms. Hopefully a permanent one, not a temporary there you one. Go. That's a yes. passing fad, you know, that's the, Thank you. That's the question. Mm-hmm. But what was the research that kind of led you to that series on minority contracting in Massachusetts, right? That's... yeah. Chloe and I talk about supplier diversity and contracting like day in, day out, but we kind of consider ourselves practitioners, right? We've sat inside sourcing organizations, that type of thing. So our journey to that conversation makes maybe a little more sense, right? Than somebody who's on kind of the investigative news side of us. Kind of walk us through how you got to that that particular point, that kind of niche area, if you will. Yeah, I know. It's kind of weird. Um, (laughs) uh, This is fun for me. I don't like to talk to a lot of nerds who actually understand, you know, procurement. So uh, I was about to say, you found two of the biggest ones right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We can talk about amongst friends. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Got a bottle of whiskey here someplace. Let's kick up our feet. Um, (laughs) Let's go. My last job, I was the politics editor for USA Today in Washington. I spent 30 Mm. years in Washington, so Mm. I, I ran investigative units down there. I covered Congress. I covered the White House. I was a White House correspondent for a while. Um, and in my last job, I was the uh, the political editor for USA Today in D.C., which, you know, was by the early you know 20s was no longer really all that entertaining. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, but I started my morning every morning reading the Federal Register. Mm-hmm. You guys are nerdy enough to know uh, and your yes. listeners expect are to know the Federal Register is where the federal government announces every day what they're doing. All the agencies announce they're doing. You can find some um, uh, grant opportunities in there. You can find sales of weapons to Saudi Arabia. Arabia. You can find any executive orders. It's all in the Federal Register. And it's all free. And you get it there. Mm-hmm. It's where the federal government basically, it's the file cabinet where the federal government puts everything. And, right. and, mm-hmm. and unlike uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know exactly where it is. You can go get it. Right. <laughs> 
So, so I got to Massachusetts in 2018 and I'm new okay. here. I'm not from around here. I have this new job. I don't really know anything about it. Um, and I decided, well, I should learn something about the government here. So I'll go look at, and I literally, I've been here a week. It's like, okay, I'll go, I'll go look at the state version of the federal register because states all have them too, right? Right. You know, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. State registers. So I started asking around, where's, what's the, what do you guys read? What's the state register thing? Where, where, what is it? And everyone looked at me like I'm crazy and scratched their heads. I have no idea what I'm talking about. So I tracked it down. And it does exist, of course. And every state has one. Uh, it's behind a paywall. What? No. And I'm just like, no. wait, th- th- this is public information. You're going to charge me to look at it? You've got to be kidding. So wow. I was wow. I was offended. <laughs> As so, you can see, we're offended. We're like, what? Yeah, I know. And again, I enjoy it. There's not a lot of people who want to, like, I get to that punchline frequently and a lot of people are like, and so, and, yeah. Right, yeah, so, <laughs> so it just so happened that the part of my job here was to work with this group of uh, students from Boston University. We've been connected to a, uh, a data science group uh, at Boston University um, and they were looking for investigative projects to work on, data science mm-hmm. projects. And I was like, can you guys scrape or scrape a website? And they said, yeah. So we looked at this website that the government was running and, and sure enough, I subscribed for $300, hello, um, to the website that has all the regulatory updates and all the contract announcements, both bids and awards for all the government agencies within the state, which includes the local government. It's like, oh, okay. Nice. So I subscribed for 300 bucks and there was no terms and conditions on the website. Pro tip, put terms and conditions on your website. There was no terms and conditions on the website. So we had no barrier to scraping it. So I hired this group of students and they spent six months basically scraping 10 years worth of government announcements off of this website. That's amazing. Um, And of course it was all messy. It was all in different formats. The fields Mm -hmm. were a mess. They didn't quite line up, but we finally got all the contract announcements. Oh, it's all the the contract awards. Mm -hmm. We got 13,000 contract awards over a 10 year period, state and local. Mm -hmm. And this took, like I said, six months. And then said, all right, singer, we've got this. What do you want to do with it? I said, I don't know. Uh, let's just see how many of those are minority-owned companies. Just like right. it was just a. Let's you know, just see. Let's just right. like right. Yeah. throwing a yeah. dart at it. Yeah, throw a dart at it. Yeah. And and in fact, there is a database that the state maintains of certified minority-owned businesses. Right. Mm-hmm. So yep. we got a spreadsheet and a spreadsheet. Let's just match them up and see how many hits we get. So they came back to me. It took them a little while, but you know, again, you know, data matching is. Oh nice. yeah. It's they not came the back easiest. To us. No. No. And this was messy data. So, and the state just doesn't know anyway. So um, they came back to me you know, again a couple months later. I'm like, okay, we got your number. So we had 13,000 contracts. Okay, great. Well, how many of them went to you know, minority-owned businesses? 274. I was like, no, they do that again. Obviously you got that number wrong. It, it, it can't be 13,000 contracts. Over a 10-year period. Yeah. Under 300 over 10 uh-huh. years? Yeah. Out of 13,000. Yeah. And so, so clearly that number was wrong. So, so we went back and we did it again and it turns out the number was actually exactly accurate. Wow. It was less than 300 contracts out of 13,000 over a 10 year period. So, wow. So now we're like, well, clearly we're onto something, right? Yeah. This is, this is no longer a data aberration. This is clearly a mess. And so I went to a guy who used to be the head of the, it was called Samba at the time. Now it's called the Office of Supplier Diversity in Massachusetts. And I called him up. He was, he's retired, but he's working for a, a black business group here. And I was like, could you, what am I looking at here? Yeah. Is this, surely am, this isn't right. <laughs> right, right. Please tell me I'm looking at this wrong. Yeah. And there's some other data somewhere that we just don't have access to. And he just started laughing. It's like, nope, you got wow. it. 
the data that we had was so messy and so ugly and it was so many different piles of things it wasn't really usable but it was got us on the right track right. and so what we were able to do was to extract from the state a series of reports they do every year on supplier diversity because every state i think does this you guys know better than i do they say oh yeah we have an eight percent goal of you know minority participation in state contracts or a seven percent goal and last year we spent you know four billion dollars in the state uh, contracts and sure enough you know 400 million dollars that went to minority-owned businesses so we're good and they break it out by you know various uh, agencies right. and all that mm -hmm. stuff and so we got all these things going back and we realized a couple of things early in this process one is that the total value of contracts to minority-owned businesses in Massachusetts had declined over 20 years. Really? Wow. Yes. Wow. wow. That was the first story in what we have now called the Color of Public Money, a series oh. that we've been pursuing now for four years, basically. Um, we published our first story in January of 2020. Finally, it took us that long to get this stuff done. That minority-owned businesses lost a share of contracts over a 20-year period. As we dug deeper down, and black companies, black-owned businesses particularly, lost. Mm. Mm. Over time, as we began digging into these stories deeper and deeper and deeper, we began to find more interesting things. For instance that if you read into the back of these volumes they publish every year, their self-congratulatory reports, mm -hmm. you begin to see variations in the way they count where numbers suddenly start to appear that don't make any sense. And you begin to realize that they're actually lying about these numbers mm. and they're lying in a bunch of ways. And, and wait, wait. So do you think that they're intentionally lying or is it that I can prove they're intentionally lying? Okay. Okay. Wow. At and, some and point in the middle of this process, and we published this too, my mind at some is point, spinning. halfway through this process, uh, like that is we published a couple of stories. We had interviewed a bunch of minority contractors who said, yeah, it's an old white boys network. You can't get in. You know, we don't get the jobs. They they lie about who's getting the jobs. Um, and, and remind me, we'll talk later about how it's not really in anybody's interests except mine and yours, to point this out. Um, nobody in the system wants to squeal, but it's all fraud-filled process. Anyway, what we found out in the bottom is one of my interns was reading one of the footnotes in one of the annual reports and brought it to me and said, Singer, there's this funny thing where they say they changed the way they count. I'm not sure I understand this because I'm trying to make a year by year by year comparison and there's something funny. on The footnote said basically, and I don't remember what year, I think it's 20, it's currently 2022, maybe 2017, 2018. I believe it was in the it was in the tenure of the current government, the current mm -hmm. governor of Massachusetts, that this office basically went back to the agencies that were failing to meet the target and said, why are you failing to meet the target? And they said, because we don't have enough stuff to count. And so the agency said, well, what else could you count? So they said, well, we could count all this other stuff. And the state said, okay, great, count that stuff. And it says in this line, we, are, we started to count all of this other stuff stuff that are not actually contracts to minority business and in included that in our tally. Wow. But they never, yeah, but they didn't break any of this stuff out. So now we knew that there was a lie in there. We knew that there was a lie in the data. Yeah. We knew that the data was including a bunch of stuff intentionally, intentionally including a bunch of stuff that wasn't contracts for the purposes of inflating their overall numbers. We knew it and we reported it. Wow. Mm. Now, Black businesses have been taking our story at this point and knocking on the governor's door and saying, something is serious amiss here. What is going on? Yeah. Yeah. 
two things happened. And the governor was basically was ignoring them and ignoring us. Two things happened. The first is that George Floyd got murdered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, George Floyd's life has meaning. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, yes. And Absolutely. George Floyd's contribution in the world had meaning before he got murdered. Mm-hmm. But after he got murdered, something happened and the penny started to drop and, and, and people, white people, began to realize that they had been wrong about a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at some point, the governor of Massachusetts realized that he needed to do more than just be a nice white guy um, and needed to actually answer the door when the black business groups came knocking and said, how come we're up being locked out of these contracts? Mm-hmm. Second thing that happened, which was sort of unrelated to that, was that we were continuing to do this work. We found the list. And, and I don't want to sound like we were smart because we weren't. It was actually stapled to the back of all these reports, but we had never mm-hmm. realized what it was. Oh, no. We found the list of all the businesses they were counting as minority-owned businesses uh, for the I purposes know of checking the report. Yeah. And we found... Yeah, we both do. Chloe and I are both like, yep, yeah. Mm. I ended up in the parking lot of a business park in Orlando, Florida, where some barely existing company had a website that said, do you need to buy something for black people? We can help you. And and I had records that indicated they had sold thirty thousand dollars worth of something to somebody who was doing work with the with Massachusetts, but we couldn't prove what they had actually sold. It was all fraud anyway. Who knew who these people were? And then we found out that they were also counting grant money the state had given to nonprofits, nonprofits that were doing like you know local aid to seniors and healthcare and poverty reduction and stuff like that. Like what does that have to do with minority businesses? Nothing. Nothing. So we never knew how much, but we knew that this was all. They basically had taken a bunch of sawdust and stuck the pillow with it. Wow. So, wow. The governor, the governor opens the door to these black-owned businesses, basically, and says, "Okay, George Floyd's dead, and I feel bad. What can we do?" And they gave him a list of demands, basically based in some portion on our reporting. Um, and on November 3rd, 2020, uh, the Monday at 4.30 p.m., the day before the national election, mm-hmm. the governor, mm-hmm. who, who had denied our stories, denied our stories, denied our stories, and refused to be interviewed for them, issued a press release saying, <clears throat> we have a problem in government contracts. Not enough minorities are involved. We're creating a new agency to fix it. Mm-hmm. Wow. So we got an agency created. Nice. Part of what the new agency has done is to um, disaggregate all this data because of our reporting. And they now have put out reports that show that of the $400 million they claim as being minority-owned business spending, Mm -hmm. $12 million went to Black-owned businesses. $10 million went to Hispanic-owned businesses. About $50 million went to Asian-owned businesses. The rest of it basically went to nonprofits. Wow. Like oh, two two thirds to three quarters. My of it. goodness! Yeah, it was all. Am I allowed to use obscenities on your podcast? Yes, yes. Well, it was all because sometimes those. Yeah, sometimes those are the only words that I can properly. Yeah. I was about to say. Well, the, the more is that the bright side is that I will say the following thing is that is that um, uh, you know now that they've done two of these reports transparently, we can now see the actual numbers, and we're seeing the numbers rise. Um, they have they they now understand that we're no longer going to accept the BS number as the headline. State spends four hundred million dollars, hits its goal. Yay. No, we're looking yeah. into the belly of the report and we're saying, well, okay, 
black owned businesses went from getting $10 million in direct contracts to the state to getting $40 million in direct contracts with the state. That's improvement, right? That is. Yeah. But it's an improvement of like going from 2% to 3%, right? It's yeah, not, it's not substantial. <laughs> yeah. When you see the, mm-hmm. the bigger piece of the pie. $5 billion. Yeah, five billion dollars. Yeah, or forty here's your million. 40, here's your forty. Yeah. Here's your forty-eight million black-owned businesses. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Do you think that these kind of issues? I mean, I, I feel like I know the answer to this, but do you think that they exist? You know, or are there parallels to some of these issues in other states? I don't know. Are there white people in those states? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is so unapologetic. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. What struck me about this and has been so appealing and interesting to me about this series all along is that, you know, we talk about structural racism. Like, what does Mm. structural racism mean? What structural racism means is that, you know, the government of Massachusetts, which is one of 50 states, spends $5 billion a year on government contracts. And that's not even really counting the local government contracts, which are much smaller, but still probably tally up to a pretty good size number. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And black owned and minority owned businesses, not just black, black and brown, Hispanic, Asian, mm-hmm. um, uh, we'll get women owned just a different thing. Minority owned businesses get basically screwed out of anywhere between 90 to 95 percent of that money. In fact, in some cases, it's more. That is structural and it is racist. That is the definition of structural racism. And the, the beauty of this series is that every story we do, we're able to actually document it. We're not just saying, hey, black and brown people are getting cheated. We're able to give you numbers that say this is how much they're getting cheated. City of Boston has been doing the same thing. City of Boston has been doing its own sort of disparity studies and trying to figure this stuff out and figure out what their contracting looks like for minority owned businesses. And sure enough, it's like one or two or three percent. It's everywhere you look for it. You go to any state, if you look for it, you'll find it. I'm telling you, if there's a structure, look at the structure. It's racist. (laughs) That's why we call it structural racism. So another layer I wonder if you've looked at too, Singer, and that is you've got a $48 million spent, right? And everybody's patting themselves on the back because you went from one, you know, like you said, 2% to 3%. But have you looked at the category or the classification of those businesses? In other words, are they all facilities maintenance? Are they all labor driven? Are they all construction, right? Do you have anybody, is anybody providing things like IT, professional services, you you know, some of the the other larger impactful kind of STEM and STEAM type jobs out there. I'm just wondering if you've seen any data around that, because I know a lot of times when I've had these conversations, they're like, we increase spending. I'm like, you increase subcontracting with your, yeah, your new tier, building. Right. And your yeah, tier, your tier two, two spend, or, and you've expanded yeah. this very small contract that you have right, yes, around janitorial exactly, services. Exactly. Oh, and you, or, you open. Yeah. yeah, that's the other thing too, right? Janitorial yeah. service. Like we opened five buildings. Well, you yeah, okay, yeah, you increase spend because you have yeah. five new buildings that need to get cleaned. You didn't really do anything. You guys, right? you guys right. truly are nerds. I enjoy this. This is that's <laughs> no nobody has asked me a question that eloquent in quite some time about the subject. So I'm gonna tell you the personal victory and I'm done. So. Yeah, yeah, me but, too. So, yeah. <laughs> so the short answer is no. The, the the longer answer is yes, but um only in an episodic sort of way. And in, gotcha. in okay. but 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 let me tell you some racist things that I've taken away from it. Mm-hmm. That is, I think I'm racist when I tell you these things. One of the biggest contracts that the state has relied upon to boost their minority contracting numbers is an IT contract with an Asian 
woman-owned business. Oh, if it's uh, out of New England, I think I know who that is. And I'm not faulting the woman or the company in any shape, form, whatever. Good company. But, but, but they operate in, and they get a lot of contracts from the government to do IT work. And so mm-hmm. everybody in the government wants to hire them because, you know, the IT contracts can be large and mm-hmm. they are, in fact, an MBE, WBE. And so they cover a lot of um, uh, yeah. other failures. Spend requirements, right? yeah. Basically. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But they do good work, so I'm not, I'm, you know, again, sure. I'm faulting them. So, sure. right. Um, the 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 thing that 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 sort of blew my mind is that one of the things that they were doing, the state was doing, and they're still sort of doing it, but not as much anymore. Um, what they were doing was they were counting, as you were saying, any ancillary expenditure with a minority-owned company. So, I got a contract from the state to build clocks, right? Um, mm-hmm. And the state wants me to spend eight percent of my contract with minority-owned business. Well, I don't right. have anybody helping me build the clocks. But how about if I Hire a Haitian caterer for my office complex. That would count. But that's not eight percent, and that's not going to get you there. Yeah, and that's that's tier two spend, and you can't. The state can't count that. Right. Well, the state was counting that. They they we think they are no longer counting it. They're they also, by the way, we're going to were at the time counting it if my white owned contracting firm that was building clocks for the state paid for a black owned company's membership in the chamber of commerce what? state would count that oh yeah that's minority spending they were counting all kinds of shit so so oh, yeah oh my goodness wow. yeah i mean i've I, chloe and i have had what probably two episodes chloe on spend uh, spend analytics and, and spend yeah. reporting standardization for corporates right i mean that's right. kind of yeah. our lens right right i've never seen that i've seen some i've seen some shade some pretty stuff. Ar- yeah egregious yeah. stuff but this yeah is... but wow that's a whole new level but and, and so here's the thing right as i said before it's not in anybody's interest to squeal right it's not in the interest of the minority owned businesses who still think they might have a chance to actually get a contract at some point to squeal it's certainly not in the interest yeah, because it, it, there's it, that happens in corporate America, too. Right. Yeah. And I have and I have said this many a times is until the MBEs demand something different mm. or demand for the corpus to behave, the behavior will never change. But to your point, Singer, they don't want to because they're like, I don't want to be blacklisted. That, literally. Yeah. Literally. So there's that. Right. And of course, the subcontractor who hired the MBE doesn't want to squeal and point out the fact that they're either a not really using them. Uh, they mm. might be paying paying them for some other purpose or they're not really giving them the money they said they were going to give them or they're not actually whatever. Uh, even if they are using them, they don't want to get into this whole thing of whether they're you know using them for the right purposes, whether they're giving them the full amount of the spend, whether they're helping them grow in any way. Like there's no benefit to the, the subcontractor, the prime contractor, of course, who told the subs to go hire minority owned businesses. Is the prime contractors, all they want to do is preserve the 8% total they can give to the governor and say that they did what they wanted to do. Well, the agency that's responsible for calculating this money wants to be able to go to the governor and say, see, governor, you've done great and we've proved it. And the governor just wants to stand up on a podium and say, I did great. So nowhere in the chain is it in anybody's uh, uh, interest to stand up and go, hey, this is all crap. You're all lying. This is all false and propaganda. Right. And as you, as experts in this field far deeper than I am, probably recognize the work we've been doing as reporters on this is not standard fare. There are not a lot of news reports that have gone right. into this. No, no. And it's not because it's not going on any of the other places. I've actually taught some classes in the investigative reports and editors. It's our trade group. 
investigative reporters and senators. Um, and I've taught a couple of classes on how to do this where you are. Um, mm-hmm. And some people have picked up on it and started to run with it, but it requires you to have, you know, some time, some interest in procurement mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of leash from your bosses to let you go right. run with this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And wow. I think it takes a certain amount of courage too to then share this information publicly around your state and especially if you don't have a solution. That's that's my thing is like, yes, you know, but what are some recommendations to these states? Because I think I'm an optimist to the core. I, I truly do feel like people want to do the right thing and maybe they've they've had some steps or some some bad actors along the way. But once you bring it once the work has been done and it's been brought to everyone's attention, okay, what's the corrective action now? That's where I feel like what makes me, when I I get upset about some of these things is, okay, it's been brought into your awareness and to then see that nothing's been done about it. Right. That's the frustrating part. And and I will say that, and we'll take a little bit of credit for this, not all the credit, we'll take a little bit of credit for this, um, that, uh, you know, the state has now created, they've elevated this office to a standalone agency, they've doubled its budget, they've mm-hmm. hired three or four people to do compliance work, like they have begun issuing these, these annual reports with much more transparency in them. Either um, they got religion or they got embarrassed, but one way or the other, um, mm-hmm. they they have begun to implement what look like some solutions, and we're covering that. And we are we are now doing stories about some of the stuff that people are doing to try and fix this problem. So okay. um, yeah, there's that. Um, I don't think any of this took courage in the least. It took the ability to say to my bosses, "Never mind what the governor is telling you." I've got numbers. Here they are. Mm-hmm. Who do you who do you believe? Right. And and that was easy. My boss was like, I right. believe you. They're good. Yeah. And, and I think this is actually very comes at a very critical time for those of us in the state of Georgia, too, because we yeah. just did. The governor just announced the supplier diversity manager for the state of Georgia to kind of manage the supplier diversity process for our state contracts. Mm-hmm. So this is interesting. And I'm oh. picking up on a lot of things like need to start kind of seeing what was the baseline where is this going to go to how effective is this because this is this is fascinating well see now that you mentioned that one of the reporters i met at ire who was interested in doing some of this work was in georgia and so that person and i started to sort of do a little baseline research in georgia on mm-hmm. where the numbers were and the data on minority owned businesses in georgia mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. minority owned contracts and we couldn't find it anywhere we kept getting sort of bounced over to a website run by i want to say it was like georgia state university or something like that or georgia tech i don't remember what it was but probably as, georgia I'm just, state probably I'm just, I'm just rethinking this as 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 you're having this conversation that i was certain i would be able to send this reporter to a state report on how much uh, minority spend they have because every state does it and georgia didn't have it and i was kind of stunned why they didn't and maybe this were you really stunned i was i was <laughs> I am not. We keep in mind we are in the South. So. I was about to say, and, and Chloe and I have been doing supplier diversity in the South for a long, long time, and there's mm-hmm. never been a report. Now, the GMSDC, which is the Georgia Minority Supplier Development Council, does do a state of minority business, but that's a national report that the NMSDC does third party and, and looks at the total supplier ecosystem, not just government. Yeah. Right? But that's it. That's and it's all not we just see. Georgia. It's, it's not it's, just Georgia, it's nationwide, no, right? Yeah. But what about like, what about Atlanta, for instance? They must have had a disparity study and they must have done some. No. No. How the is metro, it possible? The Metro Chamber is trying to do something around that now, but it's more, it, but it's not really a study per se. 
it's an initiative where companies are pledging right. to make and a And we're seeing the different, the different chambers, right? So there's the Atlanta right. Chamber, the Georgia Hispanic Chamber, LGBTQ mm-hmm. Chamber. There's one more, but I can't remember it. And they're doing like their own studies, but they focus, to Chloe's point, on their community group. Mm-hmm. If, if, if we were not on a podcast being recorded right now, I would be Googling while we're having this conversation, looking for the <laughs> link, looking for the link to the Atlanta disparity study. They have to have done this. How could they not have done this? You can't do any kind of minority contracting preference until you've done a disparity study. That's what the Supreme Court said. That's why they have these contractors going around this, going around the country, charging a million bucks each to do these disparity studies. Well, well let me just say, I, I don't know. I'm not 100 percent certain. So it's it is something that after this podcast, I'm definitely delving oh, right into. We're all going to race yes. to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes, 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 yes. Well, with the infrastructure bill, you know. That's and exactly I know that what that, I was just about to bring up. Yes. You know, I know that that means a lot of spending for all of our various states. I mean, could that. All I hear about. It feels yeah. like every, th- every time I go to a, a, a event, I'm always hearing about the infrastructure bill. And I mean, that could arguably drive a lot of businesses where, you know, you talk about some of these things that they're making up. Mm-hmm. You know, this is real, real dollars and real, real opportunity. Do you feel like some of these projects now that you guys have this certain agency that's focused on it? Do you feel like it's happening that more MBEs are getting some access to some of these contracting opportunities? First of all, most of the infrastructure money has not really started to flow yet. Of so, course not. Yeah. Um, uh, but but we do believe that there will be uh, there has been some commitment to MBE inclusion in a lot of that work. Part of the issue is that a lot of that work is paving, mm-hmm. uh, and paving is not a particularly lucrative or profitable business for a lot of MBEs, um, uh, at least in Massachusetts. Um, there's some, but the, and the other problem is that these contracts tend to be huge, and for smaller mm-hmm. MBEs, it's hard to get in there because you know if you're going to spend a hundred million dollars, you know, paving a bridge, you may not be hiring a small minority-owned business. The third thing that's sort of interesting, and this is one I don't fully understand, so stop me if I get this incorrect. Because these are federal contracts, by the by and large, or federally funded contracts, they operate under DOT standards, mm-hmm. and the DOT standards for minority inclusion is actually a standard for disadvantaged business inclusion, which Correct. is based, which is based yeah. on revenues, not on minority Correct. distinction, which means right. that if you make, if you already a, a, a business that is doing more than whatever the number is, a million, $2 million a year in revenues. Well, it varies from state to state. And it's smaller than that in the state of Georgia. It's like 750000 Then you no longer count as disadvantage and you no longer yeah. get the preference. Right. So mm-hmm. if there is a big enough company, a big enough minority-owned company to participate with the big dogs without having to, that is the big dogs being largely non-minority businesses, mm-hmm. that you are able to compete without a preference uh, uh, in your pocket, um, then sure, um, there will be some money for you. If you are a smaller business and the minority preference is something that helps you get the work, then you're only going to be successful to the degree that you succeed. And once you succeed, you're kicked out. <laughs> right. Right. Thank you for your participation. You're done. And that's by design, right? When we talk about just structural racism, 
Because if you do actually start to think about scaling, then these programs that are designed to help you are no longer available. Oh, throw you back into the deep end of the pool. Never mind these other structural challenges that still exist as you try to grow. Yeah, because when you go, I mean, yes, you're a bigger company now. You still have revenues. Um, You know, you have, you know, staff, you have enough back end to do the paperwork and the weekly payroll that's required by these contracts. Mm -hmm. You got all that stuff. Um, But when you go to the bid conference, you are still the only Hispanic contractor in the room. And that still is a detriment. Sorry, it just is. Now, that said, again, I do believe that there is some focus being done on this, uh, you know, being put to this issue here in Massachusetts. I have reason to believe that um, I'm also really interested in workforce stuff, but that's a whole different thing. You know, there's a lot going on in this area. And and the real problem is that there's two agencies that do most of the big construction in the state. Um, and the one that builds vertically is much more sort of thinking about this stuff and trying to get their arms around uh, inclusion. They're not good at it by any stretch of imagination, but they're, but they're making some moves towards it. The one that builds horizontally is not. just just, let's put it right out there let's just put it out there yeah so it's just we and we're and and again you know there there are state requirements that people have never paid a nickel's worth of attention to yeah Yeah. reports that they don't bother with my favorite was that the i think it was the school building administration you know several hundred million dollars in school building every year and they're supposed to keep track of the you know the minority workforce on the school buildings and they're supposed to report to the governor and so we asked them for the data and they said oh we don't collect that it's like well what do you what you, you're supposed to report? Oh yeah, no, we t- we tell every school district to collect it. Mm-hmm. Like, so wait, I'm supposed to go to every school district in the state and ask them, and you have not done this, right? Right. So who's nice. actually is anybody actually reporting on this? Right, now? right, right. Of course not. Of course not. So that's the. I mean, it's a it's an uphill battle. Oh. There's 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 still plenty to do. I'm not uh, I'm not a, uh, working there's myself no. out of a job, and I got a team. You know, my my this is not just me. This I got three or four reporters plus an entire group of students at, at Boston University who crunched the numbers for us. We've been churning through this, and it keeps. Every time we turn up stones, we're like, oh, look, there's more crap stuck yeah. at the bottom of the stones. Nice. The gift that keeps nice. giving. Huh? It is. It is. What do you think the root of the issue is when it comes to the struggle of minority contracting, particularly in Massachusetts? Oh, yeah. I think that it's different from state to state, but I want to see just of all of the investigative work, what is what is at the root of it? Racism. Yeah, it's not different from state to state. I don't think I mean, I don't know the other states very well. I haven't done a whole lot of work in other states, honestly, on this topic. But I mean, you know, is there a reason why every company on the list of uh, approved vendors for a purchasing cooperative in the state of Massachusetts that spends a billion dollars a year? Every company on there is white owned. That's not true. One percent of them are minority owned. I know in Texas, Texas, which is a pretty diverse state and more diverse mm-hmm. in some way in, in some ways than Massachusetts, I believe. Um, yeah, you absolutely. know, again, they have they have a large purchasing cooperative that's got three thousand members. It's it's municipalities, it's nonprofits, it's schools, whoever else, you know, and they spend a billion dollars a year on stuff. And they have this long list of vendors, and approximately one to two percent of that money gets spent with minority-owned businesses. Is there a reason other than racism? No, racism is the underlying reason behind all the other reasons you're going to give me. Well, the companies aren't available. Why aren't they available? Because we didn't look for them. They're actually out there. Did you know that? Your own disparity study shows that they're out there. Well, they didn't come forward. Why didn't they come forward? Well, because they didn't think they were going to get the job because they were probably people of color and they know as a white guy making the purchase, right? The, the answer to every excuse why goes back to because somewhere, maybe it's because, you know, 
45 years ago, these people couldn't get a job at all. And so um, uh, they were not able to build enough wealth to have a company. Maybe it's because Mm -hmm. they were redlined out of owning a home. And so they Mm -hmm. weren't. I mean, it's like, you can go back as far as you want, right? Uh, but, But the fact of the matter is, is that when you see these patterns repeat, over and over and over again, wherever you go, minority participation in these contracts tend to be somewhere between 2 and 5% on a good day. Anywhere you go, anytime I look at it, that's what I find. And the only non-changing variable is the race. I have to begin to believe that the race is not accidental or coincidental. I think the lessons from this is we've got to all really check ourselves around this and making sure there's not only checking ourselves, but making sure that there are the right laws and processes in place that don't allow for some of this traditional bias to seep in and exclude otherwise qualified contractors. And I do believe that the first place to start is with transparency. The only reason we can have this conversation is because we've seen the numbers. Go get the numbers. Go ask the state. Go do a public records request. Go find out the number. And it's going to be shockingly small. um, And someone is going to be embarrassed. And when they are embarrassed, I mean, honestly, and you guys know this better than I do, change, because you work with private companies, which is where this is really the case, change occurs when the CEO decides to count it. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It has to be from the top down. And the same is true in government. If the CEO decides we're going to count this and measure it, you will see progress. Mm -hmm. If the CEO does not do that, you will not see progress, period. So go measure stuff. Go measure stuff and embarrass the CEO. (laughs) Go measure stuff and hold our leadership accountable. Just do remember that some of us only stayed six months with companies because they did that. Just saying. I do remember that. I do remember that. Oh, no, there's there's a story that sounds like it needs a little bit of bourbon behind it. I'm a... Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Singer. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Gidry-Reed and Adam Moore and Paul Singer. And also follow Singer on Twitter at Singer News. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and check out our previous shows. Stay tuned for next time. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us in participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.